He really hits that one. Oh, that is just sensational from Luis Figo. And then Ronaldo! Hello and welcome to episode number six of the Portuguese Football Show. And as always, I'm joined by Philippe. Philippe, how's it going? I'm good, mate, and you? I'm very, very good. Lots of goals, lots of unbalanced matches for us to uh, to digest in the Primeira Liga. Uh, as always, we'll be discussing the action in Portugal, um, some of the performances, some of the standout players, and also looking at the Portuguese abroad as well, because as usual, the Portuguese players are absolutely lightening up abroad. So let's get straight into it. So we'll start off with the Benfica match. And before I actually get into the match, go back to what we were saying in the last podcast we were talking about the fact that Benfica can have this sort of split personality they so often start games well uh, and then sort of fade away and give the opposition a chance to get into it Uh, or they'll do the opposite sometimes they'll start off slow uh, and then sort of get into the game into the second half but it's never this 90 minutes complete performance but today is after what we said last week. Maybe uh, the coaching staff. I'd say George Jesus, but he wasn't there on the sideline today. Maybe listened <laughs> and uh, decided to uh, put on a, a clinic. Really, a complete performance. They played Maritimo. The only thing they missed was the clean sheet. Uh, they won seven-one, and it was a demolition. One of the things I noticed from the game. Just to go back onto that original point is that even when they were four and five uh, goals to the good, they they looked like they wanted to prove people wrong. Like they continued. There wasn't any sort of aspect of right, take the foot off the, the pedal now. Of course, substitutes uh, substitutions were made. Uh, fresh legs came on the pitch. But even those substitutes, they, they looked like they wanted to run into the ground for Benfica. And I think that's one of the reasons why they were able to, to perform so well. And... He was a standout performer. I mean, uh, Yaramchuk got himself a goal. Gonzalo Ramos got himself a goal. Uh, Haris Seferovic came off the bench, got a goal. Darwin Nunes got two. But Gilberto as well, sorry. But the guy who put on just a, an absolute blinder of a performance is Jaffa uh, Silva. He got four assists and one goal. He was involved in basically everything that Benfica did. Um, on that right-hand side, he was cutting in field. He was going to the byline. Just an absolute menace. Um, what what I found interesting as well is he he wasn't trying to trying to really dribble. He wasn't. He, he wanted to receive the ball and he was giving it quick. He was trying to get to goal as quickly as possible. Uh, and it was just he was so productive. He very rarely gave the ball away. I think he finished with maybe 86, 87% passing accuracy. Considering he was playing in such an advanced role is is terrific. Most of his passes were sideways or forwards. You know, it was it was you know not often that he went backwards. And he he over the last two games as well, he he got a goal and three assists last time out against Familicao and he got another four assists today and a goal. Uh, he's leading the assist table with 13 assists. Fun fact 
Mendy Tremi was the best assister last season with 11 assists at the end of the season and Silva's already got 13. So, but all round, I thought Benfica were, they, they did everything that they, that, that's good about them. They attacked well, they defended well. Um, the link-up play was brilliant. The substitutes were the right substitutions to make. You know, Gonzalo Ramos came on and got his first goal of the season in the league. Uh, Adel Trapp come on and, and gave the game some balance. He kept the ball well, uh, tried to link attacks. And, and Seferovic came on as well and uh, got himself a goal and an assist. So it was it was the perfect, i say it was the almost perfect display for Benfica. The only uh, sort of blot on the copybook is is the fact that they, they conceded that goal. But um, yeah, a tremendous performance. Yeah, t- to be honest with this one, I don't have much to say. Uh, I was watching at the same time it was uh, Diego Jota playing against Tottenham. So I was tuning in to watch, uh, to watch Spurs against Liverpool. Um, and every I just watched the highlights and just some switching around sometimes. But to be fair, it, it always seemed it was very, very easy for, for Benfica. My question to you, because obviously you were paying a lot more attention to the game than me, is does this win was because Benfica played like immensely good or it was Maritim that left a lot of spaces? And I'm just saying this because every time I was changing channel, it was Benfica would have so much free space on running forward with the ball. There was like mm-hmm. Rafa never received the ball under pressure. Darwin didn't receive the ball under pressure. And everything looked very, very easy. Yeah, it was. To be honest, it would probably be a bit of both. I, I think one thing that Benfica were good at were uh, they were very good in transition, which they they were hitting Maritimo with pace. And that's where I think someone like Rafa Silva comes in is because when he was receiving the ball, he was maybe taking a touch, maybe in the first time. At most, he was taking two, three touches, getting rid of the ball and, and spinning off. And they they just didn't look like they knew what to do with them, as you say. Lots of space in behind. They don't know whether to go tight. Uh, and then he gives that one to and rolls and goes. Uh, the fullbacks had a nightmare with him. But that was the same all round, as you say. I think they um, and the thing is, Maritimo they came into this in in good form. I mean, they've been you know very they were on this very very poor form, and then obviously they they changed manager. Uh, Vasco Siabra came in. They the last three games, two wins and a draw. So to be honest, I wasn't expecting them to be this bad today. But Benfica were tremendous as well. I, I think the fact that they never gave Maritimo a second, even when they were so in the lead and so dominant, to even give them a chance to get the foot on the ball and see if they could build something, because it wasn't the possession win completely dominant. It went an 80-20 game where Benfica had all of the ball. I think it might have been you know, 60-40 or maybe a little bit less. Um, but yeah, they, they, they obviously could have defended a little bit better. They could have kept men behind the ball. Uh, they could have closed the spaces. But I just think they, they were absolutely rampant today. And we've saw if you do give space to Benfica in the, the way that they play. Uh, I mean, we saw it against Barcelona, you know, in the first game. They um, they executed the game plan to perfection, and um, yeah. So to be honest, yeah, a bit of both. I think as good as Benfica were, Maritimo could have been. I mean, let's just say there'll be a lot of video footage for them to look at this week in training, and know that this this can't happen again. This a defeat like that just cannot happen again. They've got Vizela at home in the next game. Then that's going to be an interesting away. one to see. Yes, definitely. <laughs> That'll definitely be an interesting one. And both sides coming off. Um, Pretty pretty humbling defeats. 
Um, but I mean, as I say, for them in the grand scheme of things, last four games they've won two, drawn one, and lost one. On paper, it's not that bad. It's a good start uh, for Vasco in charge. But the manner in which they got beat today, yeah, it wasn't um, yeah, what wasn't great at all, to be honest. And I, I think because um, the thing is, before he was in charge, I mean, even the the games that they have lost recently, they never lost them really in in that manner. You know, the, the the game against Vittoria was quite narrow. I think they lost 2-1. Uh, Gilles Vicente lost 2-1. Obviously, the, the, the Tondela game was was a bit more. It was 4-2. But, yeah, this was a, a, a spanking, <laughs> a, a true spanking today. I think with them, um, we've got a, we've both got a Lisbon side each today because I saw the Benfica match and didn't actually see the sporting match yesterday and you saw the sporting match and I don't think you were paying too much attention to the Benfica match. So, uh, sporting they played yesterday, they won uh, 3-0 against uh, Gilles Vicente, a side that you were bigging up last uh, on the last last podcast. Uh, there was two red cards in the game, uh, a red card apiece and uh, Fujimoto got sent off and then not long after, Luis Neto got sent off. I've watched the highlights, but... As always, highlights don't really do it justice. Just talk me through the game, the game plan. Uh, was Sporting as good as the scoreline reflects? Fill me in. This one was such a, a weird game, just because of the first 20 minutes. So, But before that, so they both teams came in like normal. The Sporting played uh, in a 3-4-3. Uh, Gilles Vicente came in playing in a, in a 4-3-3 with uh, the midfield that we spoke last week and obviously the front three that we spoke about last week as well. Um, and it was I was quite excited to watch this game because I, I really like how Gilles Vicente, uh, Gilles Vicente plays. Um, I even had time to to do <laughs> writing a bit about about Fran Navarre um, and and just how good how good he is as well. Um, but then the game started. Gilles Vicente actually started quite well. Um, they were creating more danger than in Sporting. But then the first sent off happened. It was like around ten minutes maybe when Fujimoto got sent off completely deservedly to be fair so no issues this one was a good game to people that were still against a VAR to to, <laughs> to stop saying bad things about because there were so many that without VAR would be bad decisions and with VAR make them right so so fair play um, so that was the first sent off then obviously Ricardo Suarez changed it to a, a 4-4-1 to give balance to the team and then at the time everyone thinks okay well now will be just a matter of time until Sporting starts scoring uh, because obviously there was still 80 minutes to go and, and, and they would be just moving the ball all the time to make sure Vicente quite tired. But then he had the moment when Net, um don't really know what, what happened. To be fair, something that Pedrinho might have said to, to Net when he just <laughs> headbutts him, uh, almost Zidane style. And he got sent off as well. And then he's a 10v10. And then was when the managers played the, uh, a big part as well. So like we spoke about last week in the in the to Braga game, I think, where the managers had a, a big role. This one, both of the managers had a big role as well to see first how Gil Vicente would now, when he was again 10v10, would adapt. He, to be fair, didn't change much. He thought, we're going to keep the 4 for one keep a very balanced team. And the game plan was basically going and trying to use the right-hand side to create 2v1s with Ackman and, and Murillo. And then sporting with Ruben Amorim. They changed and it was the first time Sporting played around, I don't know, 10 minutes uh, in the back four um, with with Mateus Reis doing a left-back position. But then it was clearly to see that Coates gets to expose. Uh, Gonzalez, the gaps are too too big. Obviously, they don't have references to playing uh, in the back four. So he changes when he takes um, Sarabia out to bring Nuno Santos in. 
I was quite surprised not to bring Nunes in. I think that was the obvious choice because he can really do the wing back plus another center, another midfield because obviously he has those legs to go up and down. But honestly, I thought at the time he was going to take Ugarte out um, and bring Pedro Gonçalves into the middle because Ugarte at the time had the yellow as well. Um, and then play up front with, with Palinha and Sarabia and plus Nunes always making that those runs as well. So that was a, quite a big surprise. I don't think it would change dramatically. Maybe we would lose a bit of uh, running power to press because obviously Ugarte, Ugarte does that very well, like Palinha. Um, but then in the first half, it was was very strange because none of the teams really were able to control the game. Sporting has a penalty. They missed a penalty. It was just a bit confusing. In the second half, it, it, it to be fair, it could have gone quite long and, and in the difficult game because it was very cagey until obviously Nusant scores with a bit of fortune um, because he touches one of the defenders from Gil Vicente. And in that moment, you feel that the game was gone from Gil Vicente because that game plan was trying to control and trying to break in the counter with, with Lino and Murillo. Uh, having tried to expose themselves, we speak often about sporting to know that, that if they need to to shut down and, and let Gil Vicente have the ball, well, when Amorim doesn't have <laughs> massive troubles doing that, he's happy to, to allow the other teams to have the ball. But then in 10 minutes, sporting end up scoring another one. Again, another reflection, which is the Pedro Gonçalves shot that touches Gonçalo Inácio. So two two big moments. And then after that, Gil Vicente, I think the heads drop because then Pedro Gonçalves has three or four chances to score. Then obviously Daniel Bragança comes in and scores his goal. Uh, Nuno Santos has another big chance as well. Pauli, uh, Paulinho has another good chance. So after the 2-0, was was very, very easy. But... Um, but it was just interesting to see how Ruben Amorim adapted and how definitely I think he'll never, <laughs> never again, even for two, 10 four. minutes playing in a back <laughs> four because he clearly didn't work. But yeah, but yeah so it, it was it was strange. I don't think Sporting played as good as they normally would. The game was definitely not as good as we, we all f- hope it would be. Um, but then at the end, still 3-0 and, and, and end up to be an easy win. For, for sporting, uh, even though the first two goals came with uh, a fair share of luck, to be honest. Yeah, well, you get you get that luck when you're playing well, and they've 13 wins now, two draws, and zero defeats. Uh, I actually posted a, a tweet about the form this season in comparison to last season, and they're actually out at this stage, season they're actually outperforming last season as well by... Uh, by two points, they uh, were on thirty nine points at this point, and now they're on forty one. They only conceded five goals this season as well, um, which is again is an That's improvement. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's, five it's, five it's, goals it, in fifteen games. It's it's, ab- it's absurd, isn't it? Really? Playing already think... against Porto and Benfica, and two of those mm-hmm. five goals coming, obviously one from Porto, uh, <laughs> an absolutely goal from Luis Diaz, and then yeah. uh, obviously considered one against Benfica as well. If we take those two out, it's three goals again in, in, against thirteen different opposition is. It's, it's definitely not normal. No, it's definitely not. And when you look at the fact that uh, someone like Porto, uh, they're doing well as well, and you think they've scored 38, they've scored more, but they've conceded eight, and those numbers are ridiculous, and then you realise that they've still conceded three more than than Sporting, despite only conceding eight. It's just, they're just setting the bar so, so high. Uh, both teams on 41 points will we'll come to Porto in a minute. That's the game that's just finished before, uh, about half an hour ago. But just before we move on from from Sporting, I just wanted to ask you about 
one player in particular, the player who's came into the side uh, recently and has been getting a chance with the first team. And that's a, a player who recently joined from uh, Porto. That's 17-year-old Gonzalo Steves. But in a game where Sporting have went down to to 10 men uh, and obviously the substitutions and stuff, but I've seen statistically and stuff, I've seen that it, his numbers were, were decent. But how, how did he play and how do you think he's adapting to playing senior football consistently? Uh, yesterday, specifically yesterday, he done very, very well. Um, obviously, playing uh, with three centre-backs behind him, he helps him a lot because obviously defensively is where, and that happens to every full-back or wing-back that makes their so the youth years at one of the big clubs because they spend so much time with the ball, they end up being offensively very, very good and defensively not as strong. So playing in the back three really helps him. Yesterday, you could see that. So defensively, sometimes go especially in the beginning was 11-11, uh, got exposed. And obviously when he went to back four, like I said before, they all looked exposed, to be honest. Um, but then with the ball, is so good. Like his dribbling is amazing. His driving mm-hmm. with the ball is amazing. He needs to improve on his decision. So sometimes he takes it too far. And after taking one, two on, he takes too long to make the pass or he tries another, take another player on when that's not the best decision. So, but to be fair, he's 17. So we will have time to, to improve. And I think it was it's something that Ruben Amorim spoke about, I don't know if it was at the end of last season or maybe a year ago now. I, I don't exactly remember when, but it was when a dad has a kid that he's not sure if he's going to put him in Porto, Benfica or Sporting. Players like him help him to make that decision because at Porto, his brother is was way is older than him and, and he was good as well. Not as good as Gonçalo, but Tomás is a good player. And by far, Gonçalo Steve now has more minutes in the first team than, than his brother has for Porto. Mm-hmm. So that That's not shows clearly either. a difference of who to to go for. Obviously, Porto now is, is playing a lot of youth players as well. But to be fair, if he doesn't play a team that won the, the youth league and plays like Vitinha, <laughs> João Mario, uh, but Fabio then you Vieira, see yeah. Fabio Vieira is not playing much uh, since he renewed his contract. So that's that's that he helps people or parents to make that decision. But mm-hmm. he still has a long time to go. Obviously, Porro will be ahead of him and Jigai will be ahead of him. But obviously, he has to allow him to improve. But when Porro leaves, I would not be surprised if he's the one taking um, that yeah. position forward. Taking on that mantle, yeah. Yeah, just what... It, to be honest, I see a lot of similarities in... Um, when you mentioned about that dribbling with his brother, and I don't know whether that's something as growing up, he also likes to do that trademark Steves where they just pick it up and he just keep running with it, yeah. like the mazy dribble where they come inside, go to the left, go to the right, and as you say, sometimes it's just about finding that uh, that pass. But when Tomas was on loan at Reading, that was something that the Reading fans were were loving. I remember on Twitter is that he there was clips of him. Uh, I think one of them was in the cup. Uh, and the other one was in the championship. Just going on these like mazy dribbles. So, uh, but great to see someone as young as Gonzalo and as talented uh, getting some minutes. And then speaking of of Porto, we'll move on to to them. They played away tonight at Vizela. They won four nil. Uh, they got started uh, quite quickly. They got two goals inside twenty minutes. It was uh, two favors returned uh, to each other. So Luis Diaz had the first goal assisted by. Otavio, and then the second goal was the uh, was the opposite. Was Luis Diaz uh, assisted Otavio, and um, so both players getting themselves a goal and an assist. Then in the um, 
in the second half, Zaidu Zaidu added the third with a with a golasso. Uh, lots when you watch the goal back, lots and lots of space on that left hand side. He's literally sprinting into an ocean. Um, but that, to be honest, got to give credit to Vizela. Is that in that first half and early in the second half? They were still trying to go forward, um, and to be honest, it was a bit to the detriment. I mean, that third goal comes of a turnover in possession, and basically the entire team is caught up the pitch against a side like Porto, who've got talented players who can make the right pass and, and set a player on the way. Uh, and then Zaidu obviously does does very well with that. Um, but they had they had the chance with the they hit. In fact, the what led to the red card um, when Shetin uh, got. The red card for um, challenging for the ball and then leaving his studs on uh, Diogo Costa. He, he checked with VAR and he was sent off. But that came from uh, Vizela actually hit the post uh, with a with a header, a deflected header in the first half. Diogo Costa had to make a brilliant save, a left-handed save. Uh, can't quite remember who who it was with the shot, but that could very easily go in. Uh, the, the header that hits the post could easily have went in. And um, but yeah, Porto. I think the, the, when they started to pull away, and the fact that we were speaking last week about the the gap in quality, they had a player today on the pitch who didn't get a goal or assist, but was just on another level. Uh, and that Should was, I go was... grab a cup of coffee and wait? My wait five minutes for you to just uh, boost Wax. up Vitinha. Yeah, he 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 was. Um, no, he was tremendous today. He was obviously a massive, massive fan of him. Uh, if you follow us on Twitter, you'll know that. <laughs> but to be honest, I, it's difficult not to be. I think one of the big things, especially from from maybe the decisions in the past of him, not to have had as many minutes as maybe the defensive discipline or doing sort of that side of the game, and especially in a situation comes to south side where he does want you to be, uh, you know, tactically, basically know exactly what you're supposed to be doing with the ball and without the ball. And that's not a bad thing. But Vitinha today, with and without the ball, offensively, defensively, uh, recovering passes, blocking shots, cutting off angles for passes, knowing exactly where he needed to be. Um, and then when he was with the ball, he he ran the show from where he was playing in midfield. He was hitting long passes, short passes, uh, playing quick one-twos with the ball, coming up with creative ways to try and break defences down. He was trying through balls. Um, his corner led to the fourth goal. So it was a in-swinging corner and then Samu as sort of headed the backwards into his own goal. But yeah, he was he was brilliant for the entire game and then came off in the 82nd minute for Bruno Costa. But yeah, he, he won the Man of the Match award and I'd have been absolutely livid, to be honest, if it, if it went to anyone else. Um, so, yeah. But to be honest, overall, not just to get too too focused on him, but overall, it, it was a good performance. Uh, Mehdi Taremi, an interesting point, was linking up well at times, but is cutting quite a frustrated figure at the moment and there's no goal in the league now since... Uh, the 23rd of October. That's something for someone like him who is used to finding the back of the net is um, will be playing on his mind. And I think once he gets that goal, maybe he'll just loosen up a little bit because at times it does look like he's overhitting things, overhitting passes, maybe overthinking when he's in front of goal. Still got that intelligence to to try and link play together. But uh, I definitely think that's 
that's something. Uh, but to be honest, Porto have been finding goals from other avenues, say the likes of Luis Diaz, uh, Otavio. And um, yeah, I think the sending off as well was it was pretty much at that point, Vizela were never going to go for it as much as they did in the early proceedings. Um, but yeah, another three points for Porto keeps them on the same points as Sporting and uh, and uh, keeps them four points ahead of Benfica as well. So it's getting interesting at the at the top with those two, as we said before. Only conceded eight goals, another clean sheet today. So only conceded three more than Sporting. So very similar, very similar in terms of the numbers that they're putting up, only that Porto's scoring more, um, but they obviously uh, concede more as well. Yeah, so about this game specifically, obviously went to and explained it quite, quite well. Um, Vizela left a, a lot of space on the right hand side, and and the first three goals all came to to through that side. So uh, it was obviously Coffee had going to have ninth mess. Um, yeah. And and for Taremi, is it's it's quite it feels quite similar to the discussion we had, and a lot of people had from Paulinho uh, a few weeks mm-hmm. ago, because he's yeah. doing everything right apart from scoring. His link up plays really good. Obviously, he does a lot of runs that helps Luis Diaz. I think his positioning. Helps Luis Diaz a lot because when he stays in put and waits to receive the ball and then link up with one of the centre mids, today Moviting and, and Otavio, that always brings a centre back with him and that creates such a big gap in this case between Coffee and the other centre backs that creates space for Luis Diaz to go and attack that area. If Taremi just makes runs to go forward and, and, and chasing the just chasing the goal that would make it harder for Luis Diaz to have that space. And right now, Luis Diaz is the best player, in my opinion, from the league. So it makes sense that Porto tries to make sure Luis Diaz has much of the ball in dangerous situations as they can. And for that, Taremi is, is important and, and very decisive. But then, like you said, it's very clear in the shots that he has that don't go in, or when he has chances, he's inside the box and his teammates don't, don't give him the ball, that he's getting very frustrated, even though I guess he understands this how important it is for the team, but he's getting very frustrated. Now, my, my question to you, because obviously we're speaking, recording now on, on a Sunday. Thursday will be, um, in my view, the most important game of the season so far, uh, if you take the Champions League games out, obviously, uh, will be obviously the Porto Benfica game. Um, my question to you would be, do Porto keep Taremi? Or they bring Greenwich like they did last week against Braga. It's a tough one. I mean, it's a tough one because, as you say, is 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 overall play isn't something that you can really. It's not something that you can knock because, as you say, he makes clever runs. He makes lighter work for the other players. Um, and the fact I don't know the fact that they're playing against Benfica twice in in what seven days. Um, whether they change up for one of the games and and then. Because obviously the first game is the Tasta Portugal, and then the second game is the Primeira. In the league, they're not going to want to lose any more ground. The cup is obviously important, of course it is, and it's it's the you know it's it's the Premier Cup competition in Portugal as well. But if if uh, yeah if Porto don't get it right in the game in the league and Sporting win their game that weekend, uh, they'll you know that's massive. It's almost a six pointer. So. I'm not too sure to be honest, but I, I, I mean, I think that's why Sergio Conceição is is paid the money that he's paid. Well, actually, it was Sergio Conceição be back for the game because yeah. it was we're gonna have it was, a Porto Benfica yeah, without neither of the without without either manager, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that is going to be with the two assistant managers on the uh, on the sidelines. A massive game with no manager on the sideline, and it was it was uh, two massive results today for for both sides without their manager. So uh, I saw a lot of people joking on Twitter, or maybe not joking. Uh, <laughs> someone actually said. Um, Fabio Vieira coming on with more than five minutes. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe we should stick. Uh, maybe we should stick to this because uh, I think he came on round round about 50, 60 minutes or something. If I'm not mistaken, uh, yeah, fifty nine minutes. And uh, yeah, he hasn't been getting a lot of minutes this season. So, but yeah, I think the cup game. Just to back what I was saying before, the cup game is obviously massive, and can't take away the importance of that game, but. The league, you feel like the league is going to be so tight this season. The fact that both teams at the top haven't lost. The fact that if Benfica do win the game, uh, they go to 40 points. <laughs> they go to a point behind. Um, whereas Sporting don't have to really deal with that just yet because they've already had, they've already played big games. They've already played both sides. Uh, have Sporting played Braga as well so far this season? Yeah, yeah, they've played. Yeah, they've they played to all Braga and win 2-0 uh, or 2-1. <laughs> It makes it all the more impressive, doesn't it? To be honest, and yeah. then you look at that goals conceded column. The fact that they've played against uh, th- those those sides, so um, definitely, definitely be a big one. But what game are you looking forward to more, the cup game or the league game? Because I think that's like you were talking about it, and and it might be because I'm Portuguese, and mm-hmm. and it's the cup game because it's yes. one off and. And it's just, I don't know, everything is, apart from the managers not being in, everything looks like to be wonderful because it just mm-hmm. just before Christmas gives that little extra atmosphere. <laughs> but, but it's just one-off and, and there's, I think, and obviously going back to the question um, with the, with if he was going to go Porto drop to the three centimeters or keep a two, I think he'll keep a two because he wants to test it because if he works well, then for the league, he'll keep it. And if yeah. it doesn't work well, then they get overrun in the midfield. That, to be fair, in the midfield against Weigel and João Mario, I don't think will happen. Um, then he has that chance to go back into a three in, in, in for the league. But just because it's a one-off, I, I feel the cup game, for me, it's more important. Um, probably not for them, so I would not be surprised if there's some changes <laughs> happening. But just because I no, from a su- supporter perspective, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, to be honest, it, it's the same. It's the same. It, it, it there's always something a little bit more magical about the cup. I mean, obviously in England here, the FA Cup. If you have two big teams that are playing each other in the FA Cup, from a supporter perspective, they want to see them go and win the cup. But the managers and the and the the players and the actual clubs themselves, everything's so focused now on the actual league domestically, yeah. probably because of the money that's involved, probably because it dictates um many millions that are that are coming in or out of the club. European places uh, sometimes depend on those three points as well. So uh, yeah, it has maybe stripped the cups of, of the magic. I think to be honest, across Europe as well. Um but no, there'll always be I mean, Tasta Portugal is is one of the first competitions that I, I remember watching when it came to domestic Portuguese football as well. Uh, I'm watching teams that I couldn't pronounce, watching teams that I'd never heard of, playing against teams that I was very very familiar with. Uh, it was was um yeah, it was nice. And then I always loved the sort this sort of magical aura around the final. Uh, this sort of 
the fact that it, you know, the the pill, it was almost like a pilgrimage, it seems, when you see the footage. Have you, have you, know, going have you ever through. been into a final? Never. Never. never you need never, to. No. And yeah. everyone that's listening, that obviously, if you're listening, is because you quite like Portuguese football. Uh, I hope. And, and if we have a chance to go and watch, no matter what team it is, no matter yeah. what game it is, go go and watch um, a game, mm-hmm. a final in, in Jamor, because it's a full day experience. It's it's yeah. incredible. Everyone goes there super early. Everyone has food and drinks with, with, their, with their mates. And the finals is quite early. So it's like I'll pass four, five o'clock. So then after that, everyone goes out for, for a night out. So it is is a very good experience to go, to be honest. Yeah. That's that's what I mean. I think of of there's always been that sort of, and when I read um, the book on Jamor, the one that I've spoke about on the podcast before, it's just made me want to go even more. But then obviously the last couple of years have been difficult with the with the pandemic, and now, well, a couple of months ago it looked like things were sort of picking up and maybe getting back to normal, and then obviously things have now took another slump. So fingers crossed, one day, hopefully go there one day in a nice full stadium. Imagine uh, when, when they have a special episode of Proxima Jornada in the stadium. Oh, that, yeah. Well, that 100%. 100% and that's why you need to sign that. to Patreon to make the dreams come true. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, so, the we're moving on to, we spoke about the team last uh, on the last episode, the team that hadn't won a game since the 29th of August uh, against Porto Menense, and that's Pasto Ferreira since then. Just constant draws, defeats, um, some slender ones, some not so slender ones. But they needed a win. They needed a win. And um, they have uh, brought in uh, Cesar Pichotto. He's came in. They've went away to Tondela and they've won 1 0, uh, courtesy of a, a Denilson penalty. But more than the performance, more than the the actual 90 minutes, the the most important thing is are those three points, to be honest. And it's only their third win of the season. But when we were speaking about the league being so unbalanced, isn't it crazy that a team who hadn't won since late August gets three points? They're now 11th in the league, <laughs> which is like, it's on paper, it's such a respectable position. Like, Especially, you know, the, the punch above the weight in terms of the budget and stuff. Obviously, they had the Europe to contend with at the start of the season. You know, it's not been great. But then you're thinking, if you're 11th now and you win, a, they win another game, they can jump up to like 8th or ninth, which is just insane to think about. You yeah. can go from, from August to we're basically at Christmas now, <laughs> you know, December, like late December. Um They've only got three wins all season, but then the two teams above them in tenth and ninth, Maritimo and Bovista, have both only got three uh, three wins as well. They're both sorry, Maritimo, Passos, Aruja have all lost seven games, and Bovista have lost six. Uh, but yeah, they needed this. They needed this win, and to be honest, they came against the side who they're the type of team. Uh, Tondela, they're the type of team they need to be picking up points against. They've they've only got two points less than Passos. They're in danger as well. They're in fifteenth. We spoke about them on the show and, you know, how we think we'll do over the course of the season. And um, just to refresh, that bottom three now is, uh, as things stand, is Fumilacau, Morenense, and then bottom is uh, Berenense Sad, who are currently act- in action at the moment against Braga. Still losing 1-0, am I right, Philippe? Yeah, they are yeah. still losing 1-0. And it doesn't so look like they, they will not lose. <laughs> 
Elsewhere in the league, Santa Clara uh, with a very, very good win, 1-0 against Vittoria. Uh, Strill, one of the sides that we speak about uh, quite often, played out a very entertaining 2-2 with Familicao. Familicao have, um, have now got a new manager. Is the um, Evo Vieira has left and the new manager is now, I always forget his Rui name. Pedro Silva. That's it, Rui Pedro Silva, you know who, who is, is the long, and you know who long-time a, assistant manager. His assistant, well, one of us, because he's got four. It doesn't say on the website whether he's the assistant or not. Um, Tarantini. Exactly. Did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is very, very, like, I like that. Really? And I, I like it. I think yeah, the like, recipe I, for, for, I, for I, like, changing no, in eight games when he's get the sack. I, <laughs> he's no, I, I, when I saw him listed, I was like, that's not, that's not. That's, is that Chihuahua Tarantini, that Capital, that's... The, the, and, and to be honest, I imagine a lot of his teammates would be saying probably the first person to he has that sort of character. But I mean, it's an interesting one. Who like, Pedro Silva is the grabs everyone that doesn't have experience in doing this yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's give them <laughs> let's a go first together. Together. Let's go together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like the Avengers of inexperience, isn't it? <laughs> they, they, um, because this is Who Pedro Silva. This is his first managerial job. He's to be honest, he might be familiar to a lot of listeners because he worked in England with uh, Wolverhampton. He was there with uh, Nuno Espiritu Santo. He was with he was there with him at Valencia as well. Um, Rioave, yes. I think. Porto. Was he there? I think. I think Porto, it's been, uh, it? since Rioave, yeah. they they've been working yeah. together until this summer when Nuno went to I, Spurs and he decided to go his own way. His own way. Yeah, he was he was the assistant to um, Gisvaldo as well at, at Porto, I think. Maybe in the, not, not sure, not sure. Yeah, it, um, but he would have been young then, to be fair. But I think that was his first, first um, whether he stepped in for someone else when someone else left or something. Because I'm sure yeah, he, he may have been in, in the team because his first yeah. assistant Josualdo was a guy something Zanya that then after being at Porto he went to coach Vitória Setúbal. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's again. then stepped in. He had a, yeah. a, um, uh, <laughs> uh, like in an interview where he said if he was important for team spirit, if, if it was important for him to spirit, and, and he was like, uh, don't really care if my players hang after the sessions. They just need to hang out in the game. And obviously, they, that doesn't how it works. <laughs> that's not how people work. <laughs> no, that's yeah, that's that's, that's yeah, <laughs> something fundamentally wrong there. Um, so yeah, so and Bovista got a much needed win, a one nil win, a fantastic victory. That's two on the bounce now. A one nil against Morenense, obviously following up the absolute demolition of of uh, of Braga five one in the Tasta Liga. Couldn't quite believe what I was watching to be honest and I was watching that uh 3-0 after 32 or 33 minutes or something um and then getting a goal so quickly after because I was actually thinking in the second half I mean n- not thinking obviously the the you know the the, the Montandas on but you know Braga get a goal you know make a game of it and then they scored again after about five minutes of the second half and and then only then did did, did, did Braga decide to you know, sort of try and create something. Philippe, you were watching with close attention to the Liverpool Spurs match. We had one, uh, one of our, what, what would we say? I couldn't say compatriot because I'm not Portuguese. What's what's the word? One, uh, well, let's just say one player we had our eye on <laughs> uh, in, in Diogo Jota. Uh, I watched 
the a bit of the game, I saw the goal. It was a fantastic goal. And I also see saw he was probably denied a penalty as well. Um, whether he'd have taken it or not, I, d- I don't know. With Mohamed Salah on the pitch, probably but not. <laughs> was um, what did you make of his performance? And uh, what a header as well, by yeah, the way. Yeah, so this is goes straight to Fernando Sanch. Mr. Sanch, please <laughs> don't play him. Abandon on the left-hand side. He plays in the middle. That's where he should be playing. So please, against Turkey, I beg you, sir, if you can play him down the middle. Because he's 178. Today he was playing against the back three of Dyer, David and Sanchez and Ben Davis. Dyer and Sanchez are quite tall. They're close to 190. I'm not sure, but... but they must be very close to 190. And by his positioning and ability in the air, he's able to score Heather. He has another good chance in the second half where he has a very strong Heather as well. And just his movement inside the box is so, so good. And then uh, when then, then obviously Robertson gets sent off and he ended up, before he got subbed in the last five minutes, play more as a, as a right mid to, to close down that space on the right-hand side and allow Salah to be in the middle. Um, but but yes, it's just so so good. Um, and if in the in the in the national team, if he plays on the left hand side, he's just taking out so much of him because he should be playing down the middle. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, uh, for our for our listeners who are listening in England, who are completely perplexed when Philippe says one. One seven or one ninety. What he's saying in English is is Eric Dyer six foot two. Uh, Eric Dyer is one 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 meters eighty eight, uh, which is six foot two. Because I, when you said close to one ninety, I was thinking I'm gonna have to convert this while he's speaking, which Thank I have to so on my phone to do that. <laughs> yeah. So because we're a very accepting podcast, whether you're in England, America, Canada, anywhere, Portugal, we we will accommodate. You know. That, that that's what we're like. Um so yeah, I think he, him um his he he broke his own record today. He broke his own uh, he set his his own season best for goals. He's never hit double figures in the Premier League in one season since he's been in England. Uh, his best was nine. He hit nine twice and he hit seven. Uh, he did get double figures when he was playing in the championship, but obviously counting top flight. So uh, yeah, so he's a, he's already at ten goals in the Premier League, and then I think he's got a couple more, maybe three or four in the Champions League as well, if I'm not mistaken. So he's doing very well. I think he's the second top scorer in the Premier League at the moment. How we set up for this game against Turkey, I don't know. Uh, Fernando Santos has got a job on his hands because at the moment, obviously the playoff isn't until March, but at the moment we've got. Serious, serious amounts of players who were in the right form. Bernardo Silva at the minute, we speak about him every single week, is greatest player to ever grace football pitch. Uh, Joao Cancelo, I'm not even going to say sorry for that. I'm just going to act like I haven't said anything outrageous there. Um, Joao Cancelo today with uh, with an assist for Ruben Diaz's goal and then also his goal, his, his own goal was just... Unbelievable. The pass into him. The, my favourite part about Joao Cancel's goal today is when he receives the ball and he, he does like the like the drop of the shoulder, like the feint, and then brings it, brings it inside. And the def- even that, it's just so smooth. Then obviously they he takes it past another 
and then the back line is sort of backing off him. <laughs> Don't know why. Uh, <laughs> allows him to shift <laughs> and then just uh, and then hits it. And we were speaking a little bit off air because there's this conversation. Oh, he's regarding... bringing the discussion now. But no, not to not to not name really other, because other... we both agree. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, not not to mention other players' names, but like he. There's this thing about who's the best fullback in the world. Obviously, it's Joao Cancelo is the best fullback in the world. He's the best left back, and he's the best right back in the world. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the the um, no no in all seriousness, there's, there's between him and Trent are putting up crazy performances, crazy statistically in terms of numbers, but actual performance. Joao Cancelo, we we said before, the only thing he really doesn't have that Trent's got is that dead ball delivery. Uh, that's sort of the free kick, the that technique, and some of Trent's deliveries are just out of this world. Joao Cancelo, in terms of the fact, in terms of the the way that he steps into midfield, the fact that he's so tactically aware, tactically intelligent, where he needs to be, both when he's got the ball and when he hasn't. When he's on the ball, is is dribbling, is like, I mean, that goal today, his shooting. His that assist against Everton, the outside of the booth where he's killed it round into I think it was Gabriel Jesus. Hated that at the time when it was happening, but <laughs> now I can actually, you know, step back and have a look. And it's just a moment of just world class talent, and that's what he is. He's a world class talent. City have got three of them there in in Diaz, Bernardo, and and Cancel. So great to see them performing well and doing their bits. Uh, La Liga, Diego Simeone had some interesting comments. Ari uh, Joao Felix a couple of days ago, he was asked by a reporter, uh, would he understand if Joao Felix, that was the question, would he understand if Joao wanted to move in January? And Simeone basically said that he's an understanding guy. <laughs> uh, he, he under- he, he, but he, he then also reiterated that uh, Felix is important to Atletico's plan, or he's important to the side, or, or whatever it was. Um, I'll actually pull the quote up now. Um, but very interesting because he's someone that's he, he, he spoke about the game against Madrid and he said when he came on against Real within five or ten minutes, he created these moments where it was like the talent is so abundantly clear, it's there this guy has got the potential to change a game and turn it on its head. And you think, and then you think, okay, why are you on it? Why are you, if he's that good, why are you bringing him on? Like, why, why isn't he part of the starting 11 to begin with? And then obviously there's the question of, is he more effective when he comes off the bench? But if you've got a talent that, that good, that you say is that good, as a manager, surely you, it's imperative that you get him into the starting 11 by any means necessary. Uh, so, a very interesting one, but do you, uh, in terms of movements, because people have asked me, have said, do you see movements in January? Whether it be January or the summer, it's always going to be is someone out there going to because Atleti aren't going to want to let him go on the cheap because they need to recoup. It was a lot some, of money spent. Wasn't it? It's a lot of money spent. I mean, we're talking triple figures. So if the, I mean, we look at the teams you can go out there and you can spend that. Uh, City are out of the out of the equation at the moment because they've just spent triple figures on Jack Grealish. Unless they make it, they've got to meet FFP as well. Obviously, it's a lot easier. And, and everyone they've... is problem because obviously that's the dream. I guess most of people want to see Juan Felix in a Guardiola team because mm-hmm. 
it, it would one would assume would fit so well. Um, but um, it would be hard because next summer we'll have two big players that are young as well and at the moment better than him available pretty much. One of them will be Holland with a release clause of 70 million. Every single team will go for him. So, and then the other one is, is Mbappe, which is out of contract. And he might go to Real Madrid. Looks like almost set, but yeah. every team will try to give as much money as Mbappe wants to bring him on. And then, like you said, I don't think Madrid will want to sell him under the, the 100k, <laughs> under my million yeah. spend, which is crazy to think. Mm-hmm. And especially, we're not really Indeed. knowing with. with Covid going around. If stadiums go empty again, they'll be quite hard mm-hmm. for the teams to to have that cash in hand again. So it will be quite hard. Honestly, the only way out to Sim it would be if there's if Simeone stays and actually if they decided to let him go, will be on a loan to to somewhere uh, to a big club. And everyone talks about City. There's another team that would like to see him play quite <laughs> quite a lot, which is they they have normally at play with a 10, so that would be ideally for him. This 10 is getting quite old, so he would have a chance to play, and he would play behind one of the best strikers in the world. So I would like to see him in Bayern, just because of the, the, the naturally the pace that is in the German league, and yeah. being Felix behind Lewandowski with Mane in one side and Gnabry on the other one will be... <laughs> Playing between those lines. Yes. He gets so many assists. With Kimmich and, the, and, uh, and in that behind. Um, I, would, I would quite like that. But yeah. it, it would have to be an alone type of thing like Coutinho did a few years ago when he went to, to Bayern alone well. and then yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it looks again. like it's, it's, not, it's not worked so far. I don't think we'll work uh, there. No. Um, no. I, and as we said, I, I've just mentioned before when you were speaking, uh, if you're going to go out and put money on an asset like Felix, you've got to know that you're going to get your returns on it. His injury record so far is not yeah. good reading. It's 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 not... If you're looking... The thing is, clubs have got so many people who work on this type of stuff in terms of analysts and looking at injury and looking at prevention and looking at the causes of injuries, looking at the fact that he's already had that surgery on the ankle. Then after that, he's got reoccurring injuries in other areas, in his calves. And uh, maybe it's uh, a product of him bursting on the scene so young and maybe just maybe physically not being ready for that sort of switch. Didn't really suffer with them when he was in Portugal, then went to Spain and started suffering with them. As as you go on, you think, if you look at that, if you took his name out of it and you just looked, and anyone can do it, you go to Transfer Market, type in injury history and look. It'll show you the days that they've missed. It'll show you the games that they've missed. It'll tell you what type of injury they've had. Uh, obviously, it might not be 100% accurate, but it's you know 99.9%. You're looking at that, and then if you put the price tag next to it of, okay, they might not get the full 100 million, but even if you say, I don't know, 95 million euros, so what, like 86, 87 million pounds or something on on someone with that track record of injuries, it's a big, big, big gamble, I think, especially in with COVID. But then obviously you take your hand away and you see the name and you see the performances and you see what it gives to a team. On his day, he's just mesmeric to watch. He's an absolute magician. But... Yeah, I think to be honest, we all when he first moved there, 
we all had these raised eyebrows and we were <laughs> maybe convincing ourselves that it, it could work, but I don't think anyone ever felt really that it that it would work to the degree that we wanted the two. Because he has, don't get me wrong, he's, he's won player of the month and he's put in performances and he's been Champions League games stick out. The game against Liverpool, not last season, only oh yeah, last season, the game this season, the assist. Little bits and moments, but really, a player like that, you want him to have more than five, six moments that stick out in your head. You want him to have this big show reel of, of you know, talents on show. So we'll see what happens with that. But I think it was Jose Sarr, who was magnificent again, by the way. Ooh, he's, he's, been so, um, he's been so good. Police the, when when that, Police yeah, yeah, yeah. Arm Brilliant. Point. He's played a, a long pass out. Into to set Pedence away, and the last man is N'Golo Kante, who's handballed it. Basically, he's handballed it to stop stop it from going. I think he it hit his chest and hit his arm. But if if his hand's not there, the ball bounces through and Pedence goes one one v one, and you know he's that small he could probably run through Mendy's legs and score. So <laughs> you're putting you're putting your money on him basically to score there for whatever reason it. It wasn't. It wasn't a. Uh, it wasn't a, a, a an infringement. Um. So that was that. But yet, yeah, to be honest, that pretty much brings us to the end of our Portuguese abroad. Brings us to the end of our episode. Uh, as always, there'll be a special episode going up on Patreon uh, this week as well. Uh, over the next couple of days, uh, there'll be a discussion about uh, the Liga and maybe what can be done or maybe what some of the issues regarding the league are. Uh, on Patreon, the Champions League and Europa League draw special is going on this week as well. It's being held back because obviously the games uh, don't kick off just yet, so we've had a bit more time for that. Um, but we've also got some other really interesting topics. Uh, if there's anything, if you are a Patreon subscriber and there's something you want to hear about, a specific topic that you want us to speak a little bit more at length on. That could be a team, that could be a particular player, or that could just be a theme that you notice within Portuguese football that you want us to maybe investigate further. Then just let us know. If you're on Patreon, you have the message function. Uh, so you can actually, and it'll come straight through to, to, to the email. If you're on Twitter, you can always send us a DM. And um, if you're not a Patreon subscriber, uh, maybe have a little think about over the next coming days and weeks before Christmas, uh, the days before Christmas or into the new year, if you've got a bit of a, if you've got a spare two or three pound lying around the month, uh, don't hesitate to subscribe. And if you are a subscriber, uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy some of the content that'll be coming your way this week. But as always, I've been Adam Barton for the Portuguese Football Show for Prosimo Jonada. Philippe, thank you for joining me. Thank you, my good friend.